Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast, brought to you by Simply Physio, aimed at helping you live an enjoyable, fit, and healthy life in and around our community of Knoxville, Tennessee. And now, here is your host, Dr. John Mark Chesney. Welcome to Stay Healthy Knoxville. On today's episode, I have Dr. Talia Nutting. So super excited about this interview with um, Dr. Nutting. She is um, a local dentist. Uh, She's provided exceptional dental care in Knoxville since 2009. Uh, She's studied extensively on implant restoration at the Zimmer Implant Institute and with Biomet Synergy Program. Dr. Nutting uh, dedicates herself to providing dental care with state-of-the-art technology that is beautiful and long-lasting. Part of that technology is also what she offers for solutions for temporal mandibular disorder, TMD, helping people uh, with TMJ pain. And that's what we'll be talking about over the course of um, this podcast as well. She prides herself on providing the same care for her patients as she would provide to her own family. Dr. Nutting feels she owes it to her patients to never stop learning. Dr. Nutting most uh, cherishes the relationships she has with her patients. Her favorite part of every day is helping people get the care that they need while making sure that personal touches aren't lost in today's fast-paced world. Dr. Talia Nutting, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Please call me Talia. Talia. All right. I know we talked about that earlier. I was being a little bit more formal for the podcast. I appreciate it. um, I'll go with Talia then. Uh, Well, welcome to the podcast, Talia. So I love to start with podcast interviews, just hearing. I know some of your story from a previous discussion, but I like to for our guests to hear more about you and how you got interested into medicine, into dentistry and into your practice where it is today. So take us back. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, it's funny when I think about how I got into dentistry, um, it wasn't really a conscious decision. I was in high school. I grew up in Kingston, Tennessee, so not too far down the road. And I knew traditional college was probably not an option for me. So I looked at what was available, a community college around me, and I picked dental hygiene because it seemed to have the best work-life balance of anything that was offered at Roan State. So that's what I did. And luckily, it turned out that I liked using my hands, and I really enjoyed dental hygiene. So I came to work in Knoxville after that, and I probably worked about three months before realizing, hey, I think I want to go back to dental school. So at that point, I had a home and a car payment and all of those things that adults have. So I went back to school at UT uh, while working full time and took all the prereqs for dental school. Um, I actually got into dental school without a bachelor's degree. So I think there was one other girl in my class that kind of went that route. So I took the long route. It took me about six years total, but I, it, it was a good move. And I realized that, hey, I really enjoy dentistry, but it, it was really just luck of the draw. I'm not one of those people that said, hey, from you know the age of 10 or something, I wanted to be a dentist. It just kind of evolved. Sure. Yeah. Um, I know from other kind of guests, just interviewing a lot of professionals, oftentimes they have um, some influence, some kind of family influence, like that kind of a parent or somebody that was in an associated field and they kind of somewhat, you know, they, they seen it practice in action, you know, just growing up in it. Um, it doesn't sound like that was your case. 
I had none of that. I can't think of a single family member that was in healthcare. Okay. Period. Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, you said you graduated high school and then um, decided to, you know, just kind of looked at opportunities. And you mentioned that work-life balance, right, was um, something important to you from a very young age, right? It is. And it's always been important to me. I've actually never had a job where I had to work at night. So I didn't want to work on it at night or on the weekends. So you kind of narrow down your options, yeah. what's available at Roan State. And uh, <laughs> it, then it's nice. Dentistry offers um, an excellent work-life balance. I'm working about three and a half days a week now. Um, I'd really like to get down to three, but we'll see how that goes. So hygiene school. So kind of starting there, maybe for our, our you know guests just you know listening. So tell us a little bit about kind of what is hygiene school, kind of the re- requirements and the, the length of kind of that type of program. So at Roan State, it's two years. Okay. You have to have some prereqs beforehand. So I did a year of general science, anatomy and physiology and chemistry to get in. And then I still had to finish up some prereqs while I was doing the program, but it's pretty full time. Most dental school, dental hygiene school is pretty much 40 hours a week. So we had a couple, I mean, maybe one or two days during the day, but a lot of it was eight to five. So it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed hygiene. I There are just 12 in our class. So that experience was a very small group of all women and one man. Um, and yeah, it was it was really great. I enjoyed it. I think we have a great program here at Roan State. Um, it's a it's a bonus to have that in our area. I have a sister who's a hygienist, and as she was in uh, nursing, she was going the nursing track, and then uh, switched over uh, to hygiene. And I mean, hygiene's really uh, I mean a great a great job. I mean, for pretty good pay for the amount of school um, that is, you know, required and um, and in high demand um, as far as jobs. It is a great time to be a hygienist <laughs> right now. So it'll be interesting. There's a new school opening in for the dental school and a hygiene school at LMU. I just heard about that classes today. Yeah. This fall. Okay. So that might help change our saturation for both dentists and uh, dental allied health professionals. Yeah, nice. Will be interesting to see how that goes. So, yeah, I do find it very interesting. Um, I mean, the equivalent kind of what I'm hearing your story is, you know, I'm a physical therapist and PTA, physical therapy assistant, is a similar kind of a length of school that it sounds like hygiene is about two years um, and doesn't require to have a bachelor's to be an assistant or a hygiene, right? I mean, you can, but you can get into a program without having um, a bachelor's. So, um, so yeah, so you, you go through hygiene school and you said within three months, kind of tell us a little bit more about the, kind, of, kind of that process of what was going on where you, you start practicing, you kind of, you finished your degree, right? And, and now you're in the, the work world and it sounds like you just weren't just, it wasn't for you, but it kind of was, right? <laughs> right. So I think there's for maybe, maybe not so much for people who grew up with a family member in healthcare or a family member that's a doctor or a dentist or, but it seemed super scary at first, like super high risk to be a doctor, be the one ultimately responsible for someone's health. And so it, I remember them asking me in my hygiene school interview, why don't you want to go to dental school? And I said, it's too much responsibility. So I got out of school and I started working and I quickly realized that, hey, I'm just as smart 
as some of the people that I'm working for. And it's not so scary that I'm capable of these type of things. And it's just kind of a, a shift. And I think the way maybe the pedestal, I put some medical professionals on and like, hey, I'm, I'm in that, that field. I'm in that ballpark. Yeah. Or shoot, I really know a lot about dental hygiene, maybe more than some other people know. And so, and it's not to be, not to say I know a lot, but I think coming from a really small town and not having tons of opportunities, I didn't have tons of self-confidence. So get out into the workforce and think, hey, I can do this. Um, I love hygiene, but I want some more variety. At that point, I was 21. So I still had tons of years ahead of me. And um, and yeah, so I, I determined really quickly, hey, I want to do something different. Uh, I love hygiene, but I don't know that I can do it the same thing kind of routine over and over again for the next 40 years. Because I started young. I took August to December to kind of do my research, talk to as many dentists as I could talk to. I went back to the hygiene school to the dentist that interviewed me. And he said, I remember asking you why you didn't just want to go to dental school. And, and you know, he helped introduce me to some dentists, get some letters of recommendation and, and start that process to to go to dental school. Okay, so were you practicing as a hygienist that long then? Uh, you said kind of within three months you realized. Three months I realized, mm-hmm. I remember this clearly, it was in August and I thought I need to look into this. So I took August to December, January, I enrolled at UT. I needed to go back and take physics one and two, biology one and two, chemistry one and two, mm-hmm. organic one and two, and microbiology before I could even, that would be the bare minimum to apply. So I did spring semester, I started that spring and I went summer semester, fall semester and continued to work through those. I think I went maybe six semesters before I got accepted into dental school and then okay. I still had to finish up some prereqs okay. after that, yeah. Yeah, well, I find that very, just just hearing your story, just very like impressive. Like I said, a lot of guests that I interview and you know, they're, you know, their their fathers, you know, kind of in the same field and they've just seen it modeled, you know, for them in a way that, you know, I guess gives them somewhat an advantage because it, it makes kind of that level of profession, like it normalizes it a bit, right? Yes, I, um, I can totally see that. Where, you know, it really sounds like that wasn't, you know, the case for you. And, and because of that, your journey was a little bit different, but, but still, you know, recognizing what you were capable of and still having like, you kind of mentioned not having confidence, but you must have had some level of confidence too. Like kind of this mixture of like, you just needed some exposure, maybe a little encouragement. And then, you know, like I can, I can do this. Like I'm I'm not going to settle. Like I, I can see myself, you know, just achieving more and doing more and not being intimidated and, you know, from the level of schooling or education or testing that's, you know, required to become a dentist. In retrospect, that seems accurate. <laughs> well, um, just our listeners to you, you know, no matter where you are in the journey, I think that's yeah, just an encouraging story to hear, no matter kind of your background, that it doesn't have to limit you, right? Um, if you have ambitions and are driven, I'm sure you were to to overcome, you know, some obstacles, if you will, or some, you know, some other maybe challenges other people maybe didn't have to maybe get into a certain level of, you know, profession that you were, you know, able to do that with some some hard work and some determination. That's interesting. And it's, I think it's true. Um, and I think sometimes you just have to decide what, you know, I, luckily I realized quickly what I wanted to do and I knew I had to go that way because my 
my father was even he said, hey, I, I don't think you should go, you know, to, you're, to Dennis. Right. Yeah. He said, that's a lot of debt. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of uh, you're missing out on four years of you can't work during normal school. I mean, it's pretty much eight to five every yeah. day. You can't have a job. Um, and he said, I, I just don't know if I'd do that, you know, and I kind of had to step outside of those boundaries and say, I can see that. But this is what I'm going to go do anyway. So what dental school was it? I that? went to UT, UT. in Memphis, okay. yeah, the health science center. You got into dental school, go through dental schools. So dental school is what, four years? Four years. Um, and then after that, you're um, able to start practicing, correct? So, or did you go through other? Nope. I went, I started private practice uh, right after I graduated. Okay. I did have a baby, a planned pregnancy during dental school. So uh, my son was born between my third and fourth year. Okay. So I had an infant all of the final year of dental school. Yeah. And um, then we moved back to Knoxville and I got a job working um, not too far from here uh, for a great dentist in Farragut. And I had a great experience being an associate for him for three and a half years. Was the plan, you know, you have, you've had your own practice for a while. Was that always kind of the plan or, or did that also develop? No, that was not the plan. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly probably would have never so I bought the practice of a dentist who had recently passed away. So at this point, I was looking into buying in with the dentist that I was working for. I also let him know that I was looking at a startup or possibly just staying in an associate for a while and or buying my own practice. And I got the call that, hey, here's a practice in West Knoxville. I always wanted to live where I worked. So and it's available. I think when it came right down to it, the financial jump there was very scary for me. I was kind of comfortable being an employee and not an owner. And at the time, my now ex-husband pretty much said, Talia, you're doing this. It makes sense. And mentally, it made sense. It was just scary. Mm -hmm. um, dentistry is a little bit, I don't know how it is with physical therapy, but a dental practice is a big undertaking as far as there's a ton of overhead. So all the, you know, the purchase price is pretty hefty. So it's scary. Yeah, sure. Um, but it was a great move. It all turned, everything worked out perfectly. But I don't know, left to my own devices, if I would have just kind of chickened out at the end. Yeah. But I had someone behind <laughs> me kind of pushing me and saying, this is what you need to do. And, and he was right. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit opposite in the field of physical therapy where like just the mindset, I guess, in school is most PTs don't go into business ownership. Just there's a lot of, you know, jobs in hospital settings, jobs in school settings. Uh, and then there's just a lot of um, more kind of chain operations, you know, big corporate, you know, PT is the vast majority. So I think it's where my understanding of at least the dental field is kind of its opposite. I mean, you have your, your Delta Dental or Aspen Dental kind of, you know, places, but those aren't the majority of clinics, you know, are more kind of like what you're doing. Especially here. I mean, in okay. Knoxville, almost all of them are yeah. private practice, dentist owned. Mm -hmm. So you started uh, your practice. When was your practice? Then? I bought the practice in, no. Well, our first day was November 16th, 2012. Okay. So. Okay. So. Um, it's been all coming up on 10, 10 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Is that surprising to hear? Like, I don't know if you thought about that, like 10 years. In some ways um. <laughs> it seems like it's been forever. And other times it's like, how could 10 years have already passed? Yeah. So yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your practice and has that changed um, since when you started it over the past, you know, almost 10 years and your interest and such? 
I took over the practice of how it was existing. And basically, when those things happen, you try not to change anything. You want to keep things very much the same. So um, I was very, very fortunate in that all the staff stayed, which made the transition much easier. And they really took care of me. I hear now about dentists selling and buying practices and can note there's a lot of different ways that can go. Mm -hmm. Um, And four of the girls that were there when I bought the practice still work for me. Oh, wow. One has retired, but recently. And so that's, I mean, the vast majority. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm super grateful because I they really, like I said, they took care of me. They could, um, there's a lot of different ways that can go. Mm-hmm. And they showed me, hey, this is how we do it. Yes, have we changed a lot of that? We've kind of changed our insurance acceptance over the years. Um, I've added a lot of procedures um, we do orthodontics now. We got, I've done a ton of education into sleep, and that's what led me to the TMJ part yes. of it. So, yes. awesome. um, so that part of the, it's changed from just simply, hey, a crown and bridge practice mm-hmm. into more of a, hey, let's look at our overall health. Well, great. Well, we want to delve into that. So we're going to take a a quick break here or from our sponsor. And then as we get back into the second part of the podcast, we're going to hear about your interest into sleep and overall health um, and TMJ related issues as well. Stay Healthy Knoxville is sponsored by Simply Physio, a physio clinic that equips and empowers you to live your life to the fullest so that you can enjoy the things you love to do and be the person you are made to be. Simply Physio specializes in helping people get back to a healthy and active lifestyle, living free from pain and medication and avoiding unnecessary surgery. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a special gift from Simply Physio and enjoy listening to the rest of the episode. Welcome back to uh, Stay Healthy Knoxville. I'm here with um, Dr. Talia, Talia, <laughs> talking about uh, her practice, her dental practice, and um, where we left off was how she started developing an interest in um, overall health and how her practice has transitioned over the years to where it is um, today. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that, um, Talia, as far as if there was a certain like event or if it was like how did that transition happen where you kind of saw your role and what you wanted to provide for your patients different than just kind of teeth management. I don't know if that's fair. (laughs) I think it is fair. I like teeth management. That's an awesome. uh, It's a great career, but I, I honestly came about this by being my own patient. So I found out I could have had sleep apnea. Uh, So I was at a dental conference, probably, I can't remember exactly the year, but we were talking about it was mostly about occlusion, how the jaws fit together, doing complex restoration. And something that was said during the class, there were two dentists there from Australia. This class was in Seattle and they'd flown in for it. And they came up to me after whatever. I don't even remember what I'd said at this point. And they said, that is a sign of sleep apnea. And I said, you should be tested for sleep apnea. And that was really news to me. I mean, at this point I was young. I think I was about 28. What you know, probably twenty pounds less than I weigh now, maybe less, maybe even more. I think I weighed like one twenty five. So you you don't look at somebody who's twenty eight and is average BMI and say, wow, you probably have sleep apnea. 
So I went and got tested, went and did the overnight sleep test, and sure enough, moderate sleep apnea. Tried a CPAP, hated it. I did try an oral appliance too. Again, this is me managing myself here. And um, so I didn't, I made myself an appliance and I didn't love it. So I didn't do anything for several years. So time passes on. I go through, have another child, finally gain a little more weight. And you know what? I'm getting older and it's not getting any better. I mean, I'm tired all the time. And and so I kind of go back and revisit this and say, hey, what's new? What can I look at? How can I learn more about this? Because I knew a CPAP wasn't going to work or I wasn't going to be able to tolerate it. Um, and there are newer oral appliances. So I did some training for sleep apnea. And the main reason I went to training for this was to treat myself. And what I learned was that many of us think of sleep apnea as being an old, fat man. So usually you have to meet all those those three criteria before an MD will say, you might have sleep apnea. And they're busy. I mean, a primary care doctor has so many things to be experts on. But what I learned was how my face was shaped, how my upper and lower jaws developed had a direct effect on why I had sleep apnea at a young age and a healthy BMI. So I learned how to treat that in myself in a way that also fixed my jaw problem. Because I had a jaw that popped, popped. Luckily, I never had pain, but severe popping and that went away too. Once I treated myself, you kind of start looking around and you're like, my kid, he's headed this way. You know, he's got my genes. I don't like this job. We've got to do something about this. And then you start listening. It's like, oh, my husband, Whew, he snores a lot. Maybe he should have a sleep test too. And then you start seeing it in your patients. People that I've seen for seven or eight years as patients, I realize, hey, I'm a dentist. I'm supposed to be an expert in craniofacial development. And I've somehow missed the chance that, or missed the opportunity to say, hey, you, there's a pretty high likelihood you have sleep apnea. I can tell that by looking. I'm not an expert, you know, I'm not 100% sure, but I'd bet a bunch of money that you have sleep apnea if you took a sleep test. And what I found is a lot of those were accurate. And so then it becomes about something more than teeth because sleep apnea untreated is related to metabolic disorders, high blood pressure stroke, sudden death, you know, a lot of things that nobody wants. And once I realized that, hey, I can see some of this stuff on a routine dental exam, then you get passionate about it. I, I'm still learning with that. I mean, it's what I call it practice. Um, there's new technology out all the time. But then you start to realize that a lot of the people that are shaped like, like me, that have a craniofacial, either a small upper jaw, lower jaw, something like that, that they're TMJ patients too. And so... Some of them, if I'm just going to manage their jaw pain without treating their sleep, they need to know that on the front end. And if I'm going to manage their sleep, because it's something they want to seek out, but we could also help their jaw kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, then I also have a duty to tell them about it. And, and all of that led to me being very passionate about sleep and TMJ. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's interesting to you. Just um, previous podcast right before you was uh, with an ENT who specializes in sleep apnea. Um, so I feel well, at least through that interview, definitely more versed. I don't know if I, I wouldn't say well versed, but more versed in sleep apnea. And uh, something he said on the podcast was 
that um, it's been estimated that 30% of the population have some form of, of sleep apnea, like, uh, you know, mostly undiagnosed and some, some form of, of sleep apnea, which, um, which is very, very high. And, you know, like you said, hearing your story, it, it, it kind of helps make that make sense. You know, granted, there's a lot of, um, you know, here in the, the States, you know, obesity is very high. Uh, but then you have cases, you know, like yourself, you said that that's not even part of it. It's, you know, severely, you're at least limiting you. You're, I mean, you're, you're po- checking the, you know, the boxes and the test for um, having what you said, moderate, moderate sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy once you hear those statistics and you think, wow, can everybody have sleep apnea? And, or, you know, 30, that's like one in three, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. And, but think of how many people, you know, that have other disorders like hypertension, diabetes. I mean, you probably, you look at health histories all the time. It's a ton of people. Um, and sleep apnea, if you know it's that prevalent, but undiagnosed, then yeah, some, some people, if you, if you, Overweight and neck circumference, yes, but but most MDs and most other health professionals recognize that. It's sometimes the again the people who are missed, women especially, and um, people with craniofacial um, deficits. And those people, craniofacial deficits, are also are the people who are the TMDs. Yeah, can you also. explain a little bit more um, when you what you mean by craniofacial deficits? Your mouth is a cage for your tongue, so your tongue has to fit inside doesn't have to, but we don't walk around like, I mean, I have a pug. My pug has sleep apnea. <laughs> he goes like this, you know, his, he sticks his tongue out. That's the way he gets air. We don't do that. So what we know is that a, a jaw that is set too far back is often matched with an, an upper jaw that is narrow. And if you can recognize those things, that that if you think about that, and we've got a cage for the tongue and that cage is small, there's nowhere for the tongue to go except backward. And sleep apnea, there are there's lots of different presentations, but at, at its core, it is an obstruction due to soft tissue at the back of the throat. Now, there are central sleep apneas. Most of what is diagnosed is obstructive, which means there's something soft in the back of the throat that is stopping airflow. And that's either the soft palate uh, or, or the tongue. If you look at narrow jaws, then you're going to have what's, what I would call, when I tell people, you've got a flabbier palate. It's great. Uh, it's a great way to uh, say that. People know this. As we get older, everything gets flabbier. And tongue position. So those two things, I basically look at the mouth like a cage. If the cage is small and the person snores, they have a high risk of having sleep apnea. If they have a small cage, they, they snore and someone has seen them stop breathing at night, like a bed, some bed partner, that it's like a 95% likelihood that they're going to have some form of sleep apnea. So at that point, I start saying, yeah, you really need to get this checked. Yeah, and we talked about in the past um, episode, uh, as far as symptoms of that is, I mean, rest, you know, just people that are tired and wake up and don't feel rested is one of, you know, a very, well, I guess one of the key kind of symptoms, if you will. I mean, there's a lot of other, I think, secondary associated symptoms of not getting rest that affects, you know, people's ability to, to you know, function or even, you know, whether it be associated with, you know, hypertension and um, and other metabolic, you know, disorders, you know, to what it sounds like likely because of the effect on your sleep, right? And, and not getting rest that you should. Yeah, not getting in those restful stages restful of sleep. Yeah, and then you're in light <laughs> sleep and people 
you have an arousal from the light sleep. So you never get that restorative stuff that is supposed to happen to keep us, you know, healthy and, uh, and, and give us the rest we need. It's like, it's like staying up half the night. So, so you start seeing this in patients, right? And um, so what was kind of that next like step for you of like, okay, I'm going to, sounds like, like pursue further education or right. training or so tell us a little bit about that so for a dentist. I've done a lot. I've done, I'm a Vivos trained person. It's just a company that provides, that's how I started things. I'm a member of the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. We went to their annual summit this year. I'm also a member of Spencer Study Club, which is a group of about 5,000 dentists in the U.S. And there's online learning. We have physical in-person meetings. And that is where I've done a lot of my TMJ training. So you start really developing this interest and expertise and knowledge um, to bring back to your clinic and to your patients. I'd love to hear a little bit of... um, kind of that process, let's say, uh, you know, somebody's listening to the podcast, they're interested in what, you know, what you're doing and kind of wanting to know like, okay, so what's kind of, if I'm, if I'm suspicious that I may be like, maybe have sleep apnea, like what would you recommend them to do? What's kind of that, their first step? Is it come see you? Is it come? Not necessarily it, come see me. Yeah. I'd be happy to help. Sure. Um, there are lots of good places you can get a sleep test. I work closely with ENTs. I think we have some mutual friends in that department. Primary care physicians even give home sleep tests. Um, there's some. There's lots of good sleep centers in Knoxville. So it's the sleep test though. I mean, that's what you need first. Somebody that's to, what you need yeah. first. Mm-hmm. And um, not to say that there's not a dental solution for that because there is, but you need a proper diagnosis first. We need to know what we're treating. Sure. Um, we don't pe- treat people on the supposition that they may have sleep apnea and I don't treat people, I don't diagnose it. So I can diagnose TMJ problems. I can diagnose cavities, all these other things. Sleep apnea is not, I cannot diagnose that and I can help treat it, uh, but I don't diagnose it. So it has to be done through a board certified sleep, sleep doctor. Okay. Um, and there are lots of avenues to get there. Um, so I would and say- that's just a professional limitation primary- Correct. Kind it's of, like me diagnosing someone with a sinus infection. Yeah, yeah. Even though I can, can see all the right. signs, there's just a little, little technicality. Of, yeah. And so we, I'm very careful to follow the sure, rules and stay sure. in my lane. Yeah. Get a diagnosis first. Um, and then people usually come with me and bring their paperwork or I can refer them to a sleep doctor to get that taken yeah. care of. And, and we need to know what we're treating yeah. first. Some other disorders will show up, upper airway resistance syndrome, which is all also common more in females who are average weight and it's still a sleep disorder. Those women oftentimes have TMJ problems as well. Do, are most of your TMJ patients, would you say male or female or do you, do you, do you notice trends? Yeah, a uh, majority of them are female, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's what we see also. Mm-hmm. So um, it's certainly uh, women are more like, and women are more likely to be missed mm-hmm. for the sleep part of it because they're not an old fat man. So I'm even, happy to see people, I guess, to go back to your original yeah. question here. Yes. If if someone has an issue with sleep and they want to look at, hey, a non-CPAP alternative, then we certainly, we schedule a consult almost all the time. I do um, a cone beam CT, which is a 3D x-ray. I want to see those jaw joints. I want to see the upper and lower airway. I want to see the sinus cavity. I want to see the nasal airway. Because sometimes, I mean, if you can't breathe through your nose, we got to get that done first. Sure. Um, you need to go see an ENT then right. before we ever try to do anything else for your breathing. Yeah. And yeah, and I was mentioning the previous you know episode too, and um, Dr. Joseph White, who I was interviewing, he 
um, does the Inspire technique, the hypoglossal nerve stimulation, um, which is, if you haven't listened to that episode, it, in essence, it's a, it stimulates the tongue when you're sleeping to uh, to remove itself from obstruction of, a, of an uh, obstructive position. Just kind of wondering, too, with like, are these just kind of, there's different options to treat the same thing or are there certain types of patients who really need or maybe would be better suited for treatments that you provide? So oral appliances and the hypoglossal nerve stimulator, which is the Inspire, um, treat basically the same thing. They're best suited for people whose main problem is the tongue. And um, both of the oral appliances work by keeping the jaw from falling backwards and the tongue falling backwards into the airway. Sometimes we have to pull the lower jaw slightly forward in order to put, pulling the lower jaw forward pulls the tongue forward. So the indications are the same. I believe for Inspire, it has to be moderate sleep apnea. You have yeah, to, I'm not sure. Yeah, but, it has to be moderate and you okay. have to have failed. Um, it's also see, better yeah, in a BMI under 35. So um, Inspire, I've, I've heard great things about it. It has kind of a narrow, you have to, there's certain qualifications that you have to meet for that. And the same for oral, oral appliances work best for mild or moderate sleep apnea. Severe, we'll still do them sometimes with the blessing of the MD. Um, some people, even though it's not ideal, doing something rather than nothing is worthwhile. Meaning if you have severe sleep apnea and they have a CPAP and it's in the corner next to their bed and hasn't been used for six years, then, hey, doing something, even though it's not the first choice, may be better than nothing. So we look at those things. Again, people with TMJ problems, sometimes we... Sometimes MDs and, and, and even general, even dentists will think, oh, if they have a jaw problem, then we can't do a sleep appliance on them. And that's, I know now, I know more about it and that a lot of times we can, like I said, kill two birds with one stone there. But I have to know all that stuff on the front end. Yeah. So um, so we've kind of mentioned in, in passing, if you will, in conversation about the, this appliance Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, tell, I, th I think a lot of people are probably interested. So tell us a little bit more. What is that? What is an appliance and um, and for the mouth? And uh, how does that work? How does that function? And how do you how do you do that for a patient? So uh, to make an oral appliance, we need a diagnosis and I always take a scan and we need upper and lower impressions, okay. which those are the things if you've had braces or whitening trays, you've done that before. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we can take those digitally. An appliance looks a lot like kind of an Invisalign, upper and yeah. lower, probably a little bit thicker than okay. that. Most of them are still very comfortable. I've never had somebody stop wearing one because they're uncomfortable. Um, but think a little bulkier version of Invisalign with a mechanism to keep the, the lower jaw from falling backwards. So it's just like your CPR training, head tilt, chin lift, that opens up the airway. It's the same thing that the appliance does. It kind of does that head tilt, chin lift to pull the tongue out of the airway. Okay. They are not as effective if the main area of concern is the soft palate. So there are some things we can do to kind of determine that on the front end. There are things we can do for the soft palate, but we need to, we probably need one more than one treatment yeah, for that. That you do for the soft palate? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so the soft, yeah. So the soft, we, I don't know how I can go real deep on this, uh, but so it's one of those two things, the tongue or the soft, the, the hangy down thing, you know, your uvula, the back yeah. of the throat, this whole, this whole mechanism can be the, the issue. And if that's the issue, there are ways to tone that. People use laser treatments to tone the soft palate. People use myofunctional therapy exercises to tone the soft palate. This water bottle that I have is 
has an, a straw mechanism that is used to tone the soft palate. So there are things people can do that are simple that will also help. Those are usually non-surgical. Sure. Yeah. But sometimes it's important to know that on the front end because if you don't want to get a sleep appliance, it's better, but he's still snoring. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, now I, I know to look at the scan for that. Before it was like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but that means it's the tongue and the soft palate. So we have to treat both of those. And yeah. you want to know that on the front end. Sure. Yeah. And I know you have, I mean, from um, being at, talking with you earlier, that you have a staff member trained in the exercises involving the mouth, and, uh, the face, the tongue. Myo, what's, tell me, Myo. Um, it's called myofunctional therapy. Functional therapy, yep. yep. Okay. It's super underutilized. I wish it were free and everybody, you know, so many, it's, it's I think we talked about this. It's like, I tell people it's like physical therapy for the mouth. No offense if that's not entirely 100% accurate. Um, But there are ways to provide lip closure, to get proper rest posture, and tongue elevation. And that can make somebody sleep better. Or just primary snoring, meaning you don't have sleep apnea, you just snore. Wife wants you to stop. We can help with that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like to me maybe a cross between like a speech therapist and a physical therapist because, you know, in our training, we really don't focus. I'm trying to, you know, go back to school and like as far as at least with like um, with TMJ type of management, we focus on other pieces um, around that. But actually working on exercises involving the mouth, if you will, I mean, that's involves someone with TMJ um, with what we do. But with your um, provider, myofunctional Therapy. therapy. Okay. Sounds sounds a little bit more like uh, a cross between a, a, a speech language therapist and a, a yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think it's, it's super underutilized. Yeah, I know. And, I've never heard of it until you. Right. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it. I'd never heard of it. You told me this five years ago yeah. and a patient would have said it to me. I'd be like, eh, I don't know. You know, but when you see, you look at the research and there's plenty of research on myofunctional therapy. The problem with myofunctional therapy, I think, is there's no re- there's no medical reimbursement for it. Mm-hmm. And you can't copyright it and market it. So it's hard to, you know, to get somebody to pursue it. Yeah. Um, and here's here's what I love about sleep apnea, TMJ, this type of treatments too, is sometimes now, like I can look at someone and say, hey, you have a pretty good chance of having sleep apnea. I'm worried about you. What if I could look at your child... And we could look at their oral development and say, hey, your kid has some of these markers. Maybe you should deal with this orthodontically and change the home for the tongue. At the same time, you do their orthodontic treatment or before, and it may keep some of these things from happening down the road. I can go back through my own history and hear what the orthodontist recommended, a couple orthodontists recommended for me when I was, you know, young and I think fourth grade. And my mom didn't like that idea. So she took me to a different orthodontist that would straighten my teeth. So I ended up with straight teeth. But I, there was an orthopedic problem that a, 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 an orthodontist tried to address. But it's more complicated. It's a little more complicated than traditional braces. Yeah. And I look at that and think, wow. How many more nights of sleep could I have gotten? How many sleep tests did I take? How many rounds of orthodontics did I do to straighten my teeth over and over again without actually addressing the underlying problem? It is a lot. So I think that's one of the great things is now, hey, if, if you have a child, you know, if you have a child that snores, that's a problem. 
and some of these, again, those jaw problems, there's tons of ways you can do expansion now. Hmm. And, and they're simple. I'm sure if you had, you know, most people, I start seeing my kid. Yeah, let's expand him now. That way you take some of this just out, as they're out, developing. out of possibilities. Yeah, yes. you're you're going to do braces change. anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, it sounds like, um, so that's a piece that you offer, like the kind of, you mentioned orthodontics as far as something that you practice. I, it sounds like it's different than what the general public think of kind of, you know, making somebody have a nice smile through, you know, alignment of the teeth. Now, I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, if that's, but as far as kind of how, you, like when you're, when you're providing orthodontics, like how are you using that? Are you more kind of with the sleep management and the orthopedic kind of side of it? Yes. Okay. So I had to kind of, that's how I got started in ortho too, because I needed someone to send my son to. Mm -hmm. So then I had to do ortho training too. So yes, it's more than making the teeth straight. And I think most orthodontists will agree with that too. There's more than making the teeth straight. But what we do is utilize myofunctional therapy with orthodontics. And you're a physical therapist, you know this, if you have muscle and bone fighting, who's gonna win? Yeah, the joint um, will affect. Right, that. yeah, I mean, the muscle's gonna win, yeah. right? I mean, it's stronger, it's gonna change everything. So yeah. it's, it's the weakest link. So what we know is if someone has poor tongue posture, if someone has a tongue tie that keeps them from lifting their tongue in the roof of the mouth where it should be, that's gonna alter their face. Yeah. And if we straighten the teeth, but we don't correct the underlying muscle issue or the kid can't breathe through their nose and they breathe through their mouth all the time, that's going to change the way that, you know, you can straighten them. They're going to go right back to where they were as soon as as soon as you stop wearing the, the retainers. So I, I don't think I'm doing anything differently than most orthodontists here. We're just adding a myofunctional component. And that particular portion of it is what makes a difference. That's, that's, I find that very interesting kind of to go through that whole, I guess, process of how we've talked through it here on the episode. I know originally, um, as we were getting into the podcast, we were, we were talking more about talking uh, specifically about TMJ, but we didn't quite get there, which is okay. <laughs> I went down um, the rabbit hole. I'm well, sorry. I think it's, I mean, um, I think what I'm hearing from you too is like, that's kind of been your, the natural progression, if you will, of your um, interest in the topic is, is through sleep. And then through, like, you keep seeing kind of these associations of, you know, health and how it's, you know, sleep's affecting the health and sleep with, you know, sleep apnea. And then this kind of side kind of piece of, wow, these people also have TMJ. And as we apply these sleep appliances, and help to reposition the jaw um, and also some with the myofunctional um, therapy too that we're seeing improvements with TMJ. Okay, so there we get to the TMJ part, right? There you go, yes. <laughs> so that's, yeah, how you've really kind of like originally stating like you've developed your practice kind of where it was 10 years ago, right? Has transitioned or developed, progressed, if you will, into where you're providing these other services because you've seen them in yourself and your family, your patients, and you've seen it as your responsibility just in, in a way that you can provide a greater level of service for your patients by adding these elements to your practice. And I think, yeah, at least we can ask some questions and say, hey, have you thought about this being an issue? Yeah. Which they don't need, you don't have to see me to treat any of it. But I think people saying, hey, your sleep might be an issue. Or, hey, have you thought that maybe you don't have to wake up every morning with a headache? And it's the same thing with you. Are you aware that this is a problem? Sure. Probably people come to you all the time and they don't realize that their posture 
if I set up straight, right. um, <laughs> is contributing to their their whole body. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, a piece of that that we look at. And I know, you know, with my training in um, physical therapy, the vantage point of perspective is a little bit, you know, different. And, you know, we could get into, you know, more specific with, you know, the jaw and the TMJ joint and how it's, you know, affected. And there's a lot of, you know, influences, you know, there. And, and you know, how we look at that perspective is is more, you know, looking at the neck and the head, the position, you know, through there versus so much focused on the jaw. But it's all, it all has an effect and different people may be affected at different levels based off of their anatomy, their history, their presentations, where, you know, very much could be the main thing, the jaw or somebody else, it could be the main thing, the, you know, their posture, maybe they've been in, um, had a whiplash injury and developed a neck issue that's influenced how they carry their head and, and thus, you know, the jaw position too. So. As far as on the topic, I uh, was about to kind of transition, if you will, towards uh, the, the kind of wrap up with the episode. But is there anything that we left out that uh, just on the topic that you wanted to make sure to, to mention or wrap, wrap no, this up? No, I think it's just so great that you're treating TMJ. And, you know, I, and I know there are or what we call, you know, a group of TMJ disorders. Mm-hmm. Um because yeah, it's it's a whole body thing, and it's we need lots of eyes, lots of different places yeah. looking for these things. And I've certainly you've helped open my eyes to some of these postural issues that, you know, I could pay a little more attention to. <laughs> sure, yeah, and you know, if you're listening to just um, and maybe you have you know a, a TMJ issue uh, popping, clicking pain around the jaw. And I think it's help. It's helpful to have a perspective that's um, that's just a wide perspective of recognizing that maybe if you've tried one route, that there are uh, that it can be a complicated issue, and a lot of people can suffer um, just because maybe something hasn't worked for you doesn't mean that there isn't an option. And and even you know recognizing how it very well may be not just kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, of like. Maybe a, a you know a dental appliance like really helps, but there's this leftover lingering kind of piece to it still that maybe you know some physical therapy or vice versa, right? And um and and how you know I'm very much in this collaborative kind of mindset of like hey let's let's see what somebody needs, let's provide what we can to help that person, and then let's collaborate with others you know as needed to 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 um, really complete complete the job as as needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the goal. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, um, well, awesome. Well, um, we like to wrap up the episode with a, a few questions here it's about Knoxville and encouraging people to get out and explore uh, pieces of Knoxville. So, uh, Talia, with um, kind of the first question I like to ask is, tell us something that's on your bucket list around the Knoxville Greater East Tennessee area. You know, I had to think about this one. So I think um, I think I'd like to go see it. Say a dream more. We got We were talking about Dollywood yeah. earlier, um, and I've never been there. I like to, you know, support things locally. Mm-hmm. And a staycation would be great um, to kind of see what 
what Dolly Dolly Parton's you know Dream More Resort yeah. has to offer. So I should put that. I need to I need to make that a priority. Nice, yeah. nice. And what about your favorite place to enjoy outside around the Knoxville area? Again, if you gotta... Dolly fan. I, we have season passes to Dollywood. Oh, you do? Okay. I have a fourteen year old and a three year old. There's something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I was telling um just before we got um, going, we were up there last week and and they have a really cool fireworks and drone show. I think it's just through the summer. The specifically the drone show. Uh, I never anything like it and you know i'd imagine it's something that people that'll be developed more and more places will, will offer it but i was really impressed with their their evening uh, firework and drone show sounds like it was pretty cool yeah. Yeah. so if you have a season pass you better get up there um i think it's just i want to say through the end of august ish before they start the the harvest kind of stuff but you have to double check on that <laughs> i'll have to look into that yeah. uh, favorite restaurant around knoxville adopo okay Absolutely. Yes, yeah. definitely. I love that place. Great. And then uh, what's your best tip or recommendation for staying healthy? Oh, sleep hygiene. It's 100% free. Totally free. Anybody can do it. You can Google it and look at some things, but cool bedroom, dark room, no TV on, no phone for an hour before you go to sleep. I protect my sleep at all costs now. I don't let, I mean, it's a, it's a huge priority for me. And a lot of what comes in with sleep, uh, not a, a good portion of it is simple. It's the free stuff. It's free of charge. You just have to look into it and make, make some, some lifestyle changes. Yeah, and um, um, that would be my recommendation. Yeah. Last thing is how can people get in touch with you, reach out to you, as um, their interests after listening to the podcast. You know, send us an email. My office has a website, nuttingdentistry.com. There's a contact page there. You can shoot me an email at smile at nuttingdentistry.com. We respond to um, messages on social media. Also, um, most a lot of our folks come from their MD or their sleep doctor, and, and a, a lot of them come from friends as well. So um, just reach out to us anyway. We The, the regular old telephone works great too. Um, what I love about our office is small enough that we always return messages. Yeah. What's your, what's your office number? Um, it's 588-5761. All right. Well, perfect. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much for, for having on. me. Um, I enjoyed getting to talk about something I'm super passionate about. Yeah, so. it was, uh, I really enjoyed just the conversation and just kind of working through that. I think it really makes a lot of sense, you know, just how we walk through that, hopefully to, you know, our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on and, um, and stay healthy Knoxville. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast, brought to you by Simply Physio. If your pain is preventing you from staying healthy and active, and you'd like to avoid surgery, pain medicine, or just want to get back to doing the things you love in and around Knoxville, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the next best steps for resolving it. Find our ebooks online at simplypt.com/health-tips. There you will find ebooks for topics such as neck and shoulder pain, lower back and hip pain, knee pain, and TMJ. These quick-to-read reports will provide you with expert tips, tricks, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit simplypt.com health-tips to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no-obligation phone consultations with a doctor of physical therapy to Knoxville area residents. Just call us at 865 351 
888-888-0615 or visit us at simplypt.com and click the Talk to a PT button on the home page to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy Knoxville podcast.